This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hey, friends, it is April. We're back with another episode with my partner, Mike, and I to talk about moving our homestead from Tennessee to Colorado. If you've had a farm or a garden or a homestead, you know, it takes a lot of work to set one up. And it also takes a lot of work and logistics and planning to then think about uprooting all of that work and moving it across the country along with everything else in your life and juggling day jobs at the same time. So we're going to talk about that today and what that process was like. Hopefully we can share some of our experiences and some of the things we considered and thought about as we made decisions. And our hope is that that will help you guys as well in case you're ever in a similar position. And even if you're not, uh, maybe it'll be at least a little entertaining to hear about some of our adventures and trials and tribulations. Here at the homestead in Colorado, it's early April. It's absolutely beautiful this week. We are finally coming out of winter and not a moment too soon. In fact, it feels a little bit too late even, but we're excited nonetheless. So we were running around in shorts earlier today. The snow is finally beginning to melt off. We still have several feet of snow on the ground, but it is definitely on its way out. And the other big piece of news here on the farm is that we have baby piglets. Our Cooney Cooney Clementine gave birth about two and a half weeks ago. Uh, We have four piglets now that are doing really well, growing very quickly, and are also very adorable and a source of entertainment for us. Pretty much uh, anytime we see them outside, we stop whatever we're doing to go hang out with them. But anyway, I'll let Mike, my co-host for the day, jump in and say hi and uh, tell us how he's doing with the farm these days. Hi. Oh, okay. I'll tell you. Talk more. Yes. Um, so yeah, the, the piglets are great. Um, that's been quite an experience, um, learning and, um, great for the mental health as well. We, we had a very long, very hard winter. Um, they're saying the hardest winter in 20 years here. And, um, at times it was extremely uncomfortable, but I can't think of a single time that we woke up the next morning, uh, like hating life or disappointed in our decisions. So we were just, we just stayed super excited and happy. So that's great. Um, snow melting off is good. A couple days ago, I think about three days ago, we were able to take the snow chains off of our little Toyota, uh, that we were using. I don't know if we shared that in the last podcast, but, um, if we didn't we basically had to shuttle vehicles so we would park our full-size truck at the bottom of the mountain which is about a four mile drive and um, use the Toyota with chains on it to get up the mountain and now we have the chains off the Toyota and we parked it two days ago and it hasn't moved since we're able to drive our full-size truck up and down the mountain so that's great so yeah the sun has been been great I, I that's all I could say. It's been great. It's, I think it's been really good for our mental health. We were talking about just how kind of cramped the camper got for two people and two dogs when winter was really heavy here. And so we weren't really able to do much outside, not able to go on our normal hikes or anything. And in some ways, even though opening the tattoo studio, we kind of jumped the gun and did that sooner than we planned. I think in some ways it turned out to be a really positive thing for us because it got us off the property and somewhere else quite a few days a week. And I think that was really good for our mental health overall. Oh, absolutely. Um, for, well, for me, you have a day job still. So you have, um, 
six, eight hours worth of responsibility that you have to maintain that I guess kind of distracts you from the fact that there's nothing else to really do. True. <laughs> um, for me, my job is to get the shop built, get the infrastructure put in, get all this stuff done. And I couldn't do any of it with four feet of snow on the ground. So, um, and it seemed like we tried keeping up with it in the beginning and I was able to, you know, keep quite a bit of snow moved, but it, it got to the point to where the snow just kept piling and piling and getting worse and worse. We'd wake up in the morning and then another foot of snow on the ground and I just couldn't physically shovel that much snow and we couldn't get um, a piece of equipment up here, an adequate piece of equipment up here to move it. So I would have been just stranded doing a lot of reading and drawing. Yeah. So the snow maintenance was definitely a huge task and we'll talk in future episodes about how we tackled that and some Mm -hmm. community building with some awesome neighbors and how we've handled that. So I think next winter will be a very different story for a lot of reasons, not least of all, because we won't be living in a camper anymore, but we're very excited about that. We're excited that it's spring to get things moving again here on the farm. Uh, Like Mike said, getting the shop built hopefully in the next month or two here, hopefully by like the end of June starting plants and getting the garden going and having the piglets here is super awesome. But so our main topic for today, though, is we're going back in time a little bit. So our first episode together, we talked about what it was like to look for land out in Colorado, the different pieces of land that we fell in love with, made offers on, had offers fall through on, and then ultimately the piece of land that we are now recording from. But so I want to talk today about what it was like to actually move the process, the decisions we had to make. And so I think the biggest decision we had to make right off the bat was deciding on like a timeline for when we were going uh, to want to move. So we closed on the property in early August and we were both, I think, really itching to get out of Tennessee for a variety of reasons, but, you know, not least of all, just wanting to go ahead and start this adventure. Our families were really lobbying hard, um, both Mike's family and my family, we're lobbying pretty hard for us to wait until at least spring, if not later. And we kind of felt like we could do that. But then, you know, our, our family was never going to want us to move further away from them. So then I think, you know, spring could turn to summer, could turn to fall, which would turn to the next spring. So really, we just had to kind of tell them, you know, it's time to go when it's time to go and start figuring out the logistics. I know for you, though, so when Mike and I met, you know, we each had our own places. And so I sold my place and moved in with him. So then he had his place where we had started farming a little bit with, you know, chickens and the pigs and things like that. So I think for you, a big factor, though, was looking at like the housing market and just kind of external influences on that as well, right? Yeah, the the housing market was clearly shifting by that point. By August, it was clearly shifting. And we felt an urgency or I felt an urgency that we needed to get our place in Tennessee on the market sooner than later for fear of missing the window before the housing market bubble burst and losing quite a bit of equity that we had in the house, which would, um, which would make a huge difference on the move, um, that extra 10 or $20,000 that we would have lost could have really just forced us to wait another year anyways, because we would have had to um, make another $20,000 to uh, get back to where we were at at that moment. So getting the house um, and the property 
um, ready to sell was, it, it, I felt the urgency. And as it turned out, it was true because by the time we did sell the house, the market had started to drop dramatically and we did end up losing about $20,000 in equity. Although we, 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 we ended up at the bottom number of what we needed financially to make it work. So we didn't really lose, lose, lose 20,000. Like we, right. we lost the potential for another 20,000, but we didn't, we didn't lose. Essentially we would have lost 40,000 if we waited three or six more months. Um, and that's the 20,000 difference that would have made it another year for us to move. If that makes sense. Exactly. No, I think that totally makes sense. And so then we were sort of in a mad rush to get the house ready to put on the market and list. And, you know, that's unfortunately one of the, one of the hard things about having a homestead or, or a farm and garden is that you're, when you go to sell it, you're trying to make it as appealing as possible to a wide range of people. And not everyone is really going to appreciate all of the things we did to, to make a homestead. So like, uh, you know, ripping up gardens and things like that and putting things back and trying to make them more picture perfect and less farm-like was a little bit hard. Yeah. Like we built that 300 square foot chicken coop out mm-hmm. of all rough sawn um, timbers that, that we had done all the work on. And to us, that was a huge value. But I think ultimately the, the buyers that bought it had no interest in even having chickens. So, um, but if we'd have found the right buyer, it could have made a big difference. Definitely. It definitely could have, but yeah, it was a little sad to know how much work we had put into the place that, like you said, is probably going unappreciated. Well, that, that right there, I think is a, is a huge crux to anybody who's considering moving a homestead or moving a farm from one established location to a whole new unestablished location is you really have to just get in the frame of mind that that what that that labor that love of labor and that sweat equity that you've put in it and that those all those details that you found to be great whether it be for convenience for your animals or your farm or feeding or harvesting to aesthetics has absolutely no value on your property when when it when it all really comes to the end when you get your final buyer i mean technically i mean in theory it could yes but if you set yourself up to be in the mind frame that all that work is going to bring me another 20 30,000 dollars in equity and then the reality is that the, you're probably not going to find a buyer that values it the same way you do. And you're going to lose that money and you're going to be disappointed with your decision to move or to sell. So I think it's good that we don't really see objects of value in that frame of mind. And that made it easier for us. Something to consider. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And so as we were getting the house um, and the rest of the property, you know, there was a small guest house that was Mike's tattoo studio, getting all of that ready to move. Um, Like Mike mentioned, I was still working my day job. He was still working his day job for part of that. You know, that was another thing we had to consider when we were moving was like, who was going to keep their jobs? You know, were we both going to keep working or not? Um, We can get into that decision later. But then another big decision was deciding, okay, so we bought 42 acres of completely raw land 
we want to get out here as soon as possible. So what are we going to live in? Because we didn't want to wait and stay in Tennessee while we built a house out here and then move. So we were looking at quite a few options. So we thought about possibly trying to rent a place in like one of the nearby towns. Um, You know, I think that we kind of ruled out pretty quickly for two main reasons. One being we didn't want to pay rent on somewhere to live. At the same time, we were also paying a land mortgage. That just didn't seem smart financially. And then the other thing is it really would have limited um, or prohibited us from being able to bring any of our animals with us. So um, definitely not being able to like bring the pigs and even just having the two dogs that we have. One of them is a pit bull. We run into like breed specific uh, rules a lot of times prohibiting them. So we kind of ruled that out right away. And then the last two options that we kind of weighed were either building a tiny house on the property to live in while we built our bigger house or buying a camper um, and bringing that camper out onto the property. So why did we end up going with the camper versus the tiny house? Well, logistically the camper was more turnkey. Um, well, tiny homes to be more specific, tiny homes are, are, completed homes they're turnkey they're ready to live in but they're also very expensive and and i believe they're overpriced the, the that market has uh since covid hit the price of mini homes has gone through the roof so i didn't feel like we'd get a lot of um a bang for our buck a lot of value in a mini home and with my construction background and skills building a mini home would be we could build it for a third of the price but then we had time it would take me a month by myself to build it maybe even longer and knowing that we were coming into winter when we made our move we knew that that time was was important and so the camper just made the best sense the other benefit to the camper too is that once we get our 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 home built um, or our temporary home built, whether it be an apartment loft in the shop or um, a tiny home or something like that, we can turn around and sell the camper. Now, we'll probably lose money on it, but we'll recoup um, a big portion of, our, of, our, of the money we spent on it as well because it's not – we don't need the camper. So, might as well get rid of the camper, recoup what money we can, and then turn that money back into building whatever it is we're going to live in. So, that's why I – really wanted to just get a camper and make make it easy. Yeah, I think when we started looking at time frame and once we decided for sure that we were going to try to go ahead and move this fall and not wait until spring, like you said, knowing that winter was coming and that it would be a real winter, not like we deal with in Tennessee. Um, it's a, a whole different animal out here. So time really was of the essence and became really, I think, the main driving factor and pretty much the majority of the decisions that we were having to make, um, figuring out, you know, weighing, like you said, you have so much construction experience. So weighing the ability for you to build things or do things on your own, but then having to factor in the time it would take uh, to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the timing really just became the main driving factor for us. And so, and then even as we planned like our actual move, so having to move in stages across the country was definitely like an interesting thing that I had never really dealt with before. Um, but that goes back to like the animals. So we had chickens and pigs. Uh, we made the decision to not bring the chickens with us. Um, part of that was just because of 
the hassle of moving them, but then also, again, the timing that we were going to be getting here and heading right into winter probably wouldn't have time. And now having done it, we know we definitely wouldn't have had time to build a chicken coop and all the infrastructure they needed. So we rehomed our chickens to our lovely neighbor across the street, uh, Jan, <laughs> who we love and will hopefully visit in a couple of months. But um, um, we could have built the chicken coop. The The bigger issue is, is the winter itself, building mm-hmm. it, not just a chicken coop, but a chicken coop that and it wouldn't even have to be big, but a chicken coop that we would be able to maintain um, above freezing temperatures. Right. And um, yeah, so a lot of that. And then the fact that we're, we're going on a brand new solar system that we still had to set up. I mean, there was a lot of issues aside from just building a chicken coop that it would have really made it difficult and it would have been a huge risk to take to try and get the the infrastructure in place just to keep the chickens alive through winter. And that was a risk that we didn't feel we should you know, put the lives of our chickens on that, on that gambling table. So it was, we can always get chickens, chickens. They're easy to come by. We can, you know, if we had to, we can buy them a tractor supply, even though I wouldn't want to do that. But if we had to, we could. So we felt it was, it was a better choice to just rehome the chickens. They would be safe and well taken care of. And that was one less stressor because we were looking at a lot of our decisions were based on what's the stress level of this decision going to make us. Definitely. And you all, if you've been following me for any amount of time, know I love a good spreadsheet. And so <laughs> we really, you know, making this move and getting things organized came down to, you know, we had a really big spreadsheet and kind of breaking down here are all the things that have to happen. Here are all the moving parts for this of me getting time off from work. Um, you know, the things we're trying to do on the house, you know, Mike was still working on the house, getting that ready to, um, to put on the market. And then, you know, here are the different things we're gonna have to move and, and do things in stages. And so, and then that breaking that, that list and that spreadsheet down into several um, specific like trips out West so initially, we thought we were going to make three trips out west to get everything out here. So knowing that, like, when you move live animals, you need to arrive and have things ready for them and set up for them. So we were going to bring the dogs and the pigs. They were both going to need fencing set up. So we knew we needed to make at least one trip prior to moving them out here um, to do that. And so that's what we decided to do in September. So we made our first we thought it would be our first work trip and we would have another one it actually ended up being our only work trip before our final move um so we came out i think it was the first week of september we had packed up quite a bit of our stuff our personal stuff that we knew we wouldn't need and we loaded up a u-haul to put all of that into storage out here in colorado and uh so we were driving the u-haul as well as our truck pulling a flatbed trailer um, which had our tractor on it, some of our water totes. I can't remember everything else. There's a whole bunch of lumber that we had pre-sawed up um, to use for fencing and stuff like that. We had a whole bunch of cedar posts from some cedar trees that were too small to mill into lumber that we had saved up that we used for uh, corner posts and gate posts. We had gates. We had um, hog panels, which are the four foot high by 12 foot long welded wire. I think it's like a four gauge wire, um, really specifically designed for livestock panels or corrals for, for hogs. We had a, about a dozen of those. 
we had water totes because the property doesn't have a well yet. And we knew that we'd have to haul water in the beginning for a while. We had the tractor. We had a whole bunch of tools, like the tools that we knew that we would need here to do work here. You know, post hole diggers and um, skill saw and hammers and screw guns, nail guns, that kind of stuff. So we brought all that out in the first trip mm-hmm. on the flatbed trailer. And um, the U-Haul had pretty much everything we didn't need to survive or live. And we put that into a storage unit. Yeah. And the, I think the only reason we were able to make it in two trips instead of three trips is because one of our really, really good friends stepped in last minute and said that they would meet us in Denver. They were living in Lincoln, Nebraska. They had moved from Tennessee to Lincoln, Nebraska. And they agreed to meet us in Denver because he's got a full size, um, like big truck Mm -hmm. and hook the camper up to his truck and haul that to the property. And then he would head back while we stayed to get the fencing and everything put up for the animals if he hadn't have done that, then we would have had to make a third trip because we wouldn't, or we would have had to have put in our work days here, drove back to Denver, which is five and a half, six hours, picked up the camper, brought it back here, dropped it off and then headed back to Tennessee again. So that would have added another 12, 18, 18 to 20 hours of driving yep. onto that weekend just to make it still in two trips. That was a lifesaver. So thank you. Thank you to Buck for doing that for sure. Um, Yeah, that was amazing. And so like Mike said, that was really the reason we were able to cut it down from three trips to two. um, Because logistically, we just didn't have enough people and enough trucks between the two of us to to pull all the things that we needed to pull and get them out here in that one trip. Um, So Buck stepping in and doing that for us was really amazing. And we had quite an adventure. So (laughs) we picked up that camper and... I mean, we were all running on very little sleep. The The cover episode, the cover photo for this episode is like our first selfie on the property. And we both look pretty deranged and sleep deprived, I think. Sleep, shower deprived, <laughs> all of it. Yep. So, but we got out here. So we picked up the camper in, in Denver. Buck was pulling that. I can't remember who was driving the U-Haul at that point. Mike and I were taking turns. You know, one of us driving the truck with the trailer. One of us driving the U-Haul. I know. drove the U-Haul all the way to Denver and then you then and we then, switched then we switched only because you hadn't drove a full-size truck with a with a really heavy load and we were pulling our uh, dual axle car hauler trailer and coming down those steep grades on right. the back side of the mountains I just you hadn't done it before yeah I was a little nervous yeah so <laughs> it was it was probably best for at least our first trip that I drove the truck with the trailer down the mountain and then when we got to the other side of the mountains, we stopped one more time and switched again. And I drove the U-Haul the rest of the way. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, those uh, those roads coming out of Denver were definitely a little interesting. Um, so I was definitely glad to switch for that first trip. And but so we got out. We got to the property. It was pitch black. It was like a Friday night. We're all exhausted, so tired. And we go to get to the property and we pull up to a gate and it is locked. And at no point <laughs> through the buying process or talking to anyone with the HOA, no one has ever communicated a gate code to us. And so we have this little convoy. There's no possible way to turn these vehicles around because the road just drops off 
uh, pretty steeply on the side. Not to mention no cell service. Oh, right. No cell service. So I can't even try to call or text someone um, and find out. And so we're just kind of hanging out all three of us, like out of our vehicles, like, what do we do now? And then very luckily for us, someone pulled up behind us who turned out to be one of our neighbors (laughs) and was very kind and gave us the gate code and kind of the lay of the land a little bit. And was very, very helpful and very nice to us. And, and now we consider a friend. So that was really great. But definitely a little stressful there for a minute. We got up to where we thought the property was. So because again, it's pitch black. Um, and we bought this property sight unseen. So didn't really know where we were. We're kind of using like Google Maps as well as Onyx Hunt to figure out where we are and try to find enough flat level ish space at least to pull all the vehicles off the road and not inconvenience anyone else. But so the neighbor that had pulled in behind us, he lives on the property just to the east of us and has to drive right by this property to get to his. So he was pretty confident that where we ended up parking was the corner of our property. He pointed it out to us. It looked to be exactly what we found on Google Maps and Onyx Hunt prior to even getting out here. So we felt pretty confident, but still there was no flat spot. (laughs) And if you've ever had to sleep, what, like on a steep incline, it's different. It feels weird. It's, I'd say it was about like a 30 degree incline that we were at that night. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea, but it, it was pretty uneven. Yeah. And also not being used to high altitude. I was having like really weird sensations where I felt like all the blood was like flowing down into my feet and... Yeah, it was just a very strange, very strange night of sleep. Not good sleep, that's for sure. Who would want to sleep anyways? Like we were we were up at like five the next morning, six the next morning, ready to go. Yeah, we just, we're, we're so excited. We were so excited. And it was really great weather. You know, that early September, we slept with the windows open and it was beautiful. And yeah, and because we got there at night, so we hadn't really gotten to see the property still, even though we were here and sleeping on it. So yeah, we were both just ready to go um, by the next morning. And Uh, Mike had arranged uh, with a rental company, someone dropped a skid steer off to us at the property. Uh, One of his friends who had a lot of experience running equipment came up for the day and donated his time, which we really appreciated, and uh, ran the skid steer, helped us cut like a road, um, a driveway up to our property and clear an area for the camper. We got a lot of work done in that one day. Yeah, and again, that's that's another reason why we could have why we were able to do it in two trips instead of three trips if if jory hadn't volunteered to spend the day up running the skid steer i would have had to run it all day he got it done in half the time i would have gotten it done because that's what he does every day for a living so probably got it done in even less than half the amount of time that i would have been in the skid steer and you would have been digging fence hole post holes by myself yeah (laughs) so again because of buck hauling the camper for us and Jory coming up to help run the skid steer. Really, that's what helped get it to two days. So if you're planning to do a kind of move like this, it's great to network with your friends and your community and try and include them and find out who's good at what and find out what they can provide or offer and how they can help. And we're big involved. We're big about community. We want to know all of our neighbors. We want to know what our neighbors are good at what they're not good at what they like to do and then we can help them with the things they're not good at they can help us with the things that they're good at and we're not good at and build that community and work together 
and really that again because of Buck and because of Jory who are in that community of friends longtime friends we felt comfortable enough that we could reach out and say hey look we need some help what can you do to help us and they felt comfortable to say I can do this and both of those things were were huge so if you're planning this the whole moral of the story is to network in advance with the people in the area you're moving to if you don't know anybody there get on facebook and social media and start joining some of the homestead and farming pages and start getting to know those people and then see about hey we're going to be moving to your area we want to come out can we meet you and you know when you're out there maybe you maybe you feel comfortable enough to say by the way we could use some help they might even offer beforehand yeah but at least try. You're guaranteed to know if you don't ask. Definitely. And I think, you know, we always joke about being adults and, you know, I'm that person who's had a pickup truck for a really long time. And so always have friends hit me up for help moving. And we always joke about how it's not fun. But I think in this case, when you're moving across the country and starting a new homestead, it's more of an adventure as opposed to just like moving apartments across town. So you'd be surprised if you offer to cover people's gas money and food, how many people would be willing to, you know, drive across the country with you. I, one of my friends moved from Tennessee to Colorado five or six years ago, and I did the same thing for her. I drove with her and helped her move um, just because I was like, oh, cool, a chance to see Colorado and have an adventure and have a road trip. So reach out to people, um, start building community. It's, it's huge. And, uh, So we had the skid steer, we got everything cleared for the camper. We also went into town that day and got the U-Haul unloaded into storage, got the U-Haul returned. Um, We had paid for a PO box ahead of time. So we got those keys. We found a place in town where we could shower, grab some food. Uh, Buck had to head back to Nebraska that day. Um, Jory had to head back to his work. He didn't live super close to us. Had another good night. A little bit better night's sleep, I think, once the excitement had kind of worn off a little bit. Plus, we were super tired. And the camper was level. (laughs) And the camper was level. Very, very important there. And uh, then the next day, it was just you and I. um, Mike's daughters came out from Junction and hung out with us and got to, like, check out the property. And um, we had lunch with them. And then we really just got to work on putting up fencing for the animals um, around the camper. And that was interesting <laughs> so trying to pound those fence posts even with like uh an auger was yeah, we, pretty difficult we had a gas power we have a gas powered auger works great in like tennessee dirt but up here in the mountains the soil is so packed and if it's not rocks you're hitting the the soil is so packed from just years and years and years of all the snow and water and it just didn't dig it literally would start to dig and just stop and just scrape dirt so we uh, had to go old school and use a big bar and post hole and yeah. get them as deep as we could. But they are temporary, so we didn't have to get them more than you know a foot and a half, two foot deep. So yeah, so we got that handled, worked our butts off, took another took another shower, which was amazing. <laughs> so on our way out of town, on our way out of town, yeah. yeah. And then so that, uh, that day we finished up what noon, one o'clock, four o'clock, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we grabbed a shower on the way out of town and headed back. And so this time, at least, we were because we'd returned the U-Haul, so the drive back was a little bit easier because we could take turns driving. Whereas before, we were each driving a vehicle and just had to pull over to sleep. So we we definitely made better time getting home 
um, home to our dogs. Yeah. We're very excited to see and us. Pigs. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, so, you know, from that point on, we were like, all right, we're committed because half our stuff is in Colorado now. So we definitely can't turn back, definitely aren't waiting until spring. And we made the final move about five weeks later, so middle of October. And um, we had planned to do that, you know, middle trip, that additional work trip um, towards the end of September, but we didn't need to do that again, thanks to you know, Buck helping us get the camper out there. So then we made our final move in October. Um, the house was still on the market. It had been listed and was showing, but and but we hadn't had any offers yet. So that was a little nerve wracking for us, just not knowing, you know, are we going to still be paying, you know, a mortgage on this house um, or what's going to happen. But at the same time, we felt like it would be a little bit better because it'd be easier for for showings and stuff because we'd be completely gone. All our stuff would be gone. So we just figured, let's get out of here. So we made that final move um, again with our truck pulling a trailer and then the U-Haul, which was pulling our sawmill. Right. Um, we had the back seat loaded up with, you guys won't be surprised to know, I had a lot of like house plants. So back seat loaded up with plants, dogs. <laughs> the poor pigs were in the very, very back of the U-Haul. They were like the last thing we loaded so that we could, you know, every time we stopped, you know, lift up the gate and check on them and get them fresh air and stuff. But yeah, and that that wasn't ideal. And if we had to do it again, I would I would really rather not have done that. But it, like the chickens, it was a real calculated risk. We, we thought about it and thought about it. Again, we would have had to add a third trip to get out here to use a livestock trailer. So what we... We did a lot of research on, or I did a lot of research on U-Hauls and, and the exhaust and the, what the ventilation was like. So we really took a calculated risk that if we put the pigs in the middle at the back, they're surrounded by all the other stuff. And then every time we stopped for gas or rush breaks, whatever, we would crack the back of the door so they could breathe. We would give them water and food and treats and and scratches and scratches lots of scratches <laughs> they loved that part i think the worst part on them was maybe motion sickness which they would have had in the livestock trailer but also just the fact that they couldn't socialize with us they had no interaction but again that was a that was a risk and it could have gone terribly bad for us i'm grateful that it didn't but in hindsight i don't know that i would want to do that again because yeah it, it still could have ended up bad. Right. Yeah. I think we were both pretty nervous about that. Um, and like you said, it, it worked out fine. Thank goodness. But if we were to ever have to do this again, which we won't because we this won't. is it. This is it. Um, we definitely would have invested in a livestock trailer or something else. And and if we had had more animals to move, we would have had to do something different. Um, yeah. I don't think this really would have been feasible if we'd had four pigs or something like that. Right. The other thing that we had going on was that we had been doing all our research on solar. We had, you know, come up with a setup. Um, We'd had it delivered to a friend living in Junction, which is about two hours from our property. Um, So when we got out here in October, we again had to like unload our U-Haul the next day. A lot of that stuff went into storage as well. Then we took our truck and trailer, drove out to Junction, picked up all that solar equipment that had gotten delivered. Um, because it's very heavy and but one of the things with solar with the batteries we had is that it's really important for them to not freeze and it was middle of october it was already getting 
to be that time of year. Love um, freezing. Yeah, right, right. Where we were worrying about that. So, and then also, oh, and <laughs> the night we got here. So we, we didn't get all of the fencing finished um, on our first work trip. We just ran out of time, ran out of steam, ran out of lumber also for the boards around the fence. Um, so we had to finish that as soon as we got to the property that night <laughs> with kind of like headlamps and then unload the pigs. That was fun. No, we, we had already unloaded the pigs because we'd returned to the U-Haul. So when we got here, we tried to get here earlier, but there was something that held us up. So by the time we got here, it was dark, mm-hmm. but we opened up the back of the U-Haul and the pigs were in the crates. Yep. Then we put on headlamps, finished the last of the fencing, yep. then pulled the crates out and turned the pigs loose into their area. And the next morning we took the U-Haul back. Yeah, so that was fun trying to get them off the off the U-Haul because they were very ready to be done and yeah. out. <laughs> I had this like nightmare scenario in my head of us like one of the pigs getting away and like us having to like chase them around forty two acres with like headlamps on. But luckily that didn't happen. No, they were they, all they wanted was treats, so right. we were able to just get them out and give them some treats. They went right in. Yeah, so that was good. And then again, took showers in town after we got all our solar stuff back here and mm-hmm. picked up some bottled water to get us through the first couple of days um, until we could get a better system set up. And yeah, it overall, it was definitely stressful. I think just the logistics of everything. And, and but I think because we spent so much time kind of planning all of our moves out and having like very organized lists of like, okay, here are the tools that we're going to need when we get to the property um, for each trip. Um, here's what we have to get done, you know, in terms of like fencing or the animals and things like that. Like, I think knowing that we had a really good solid plan made it less stressful. Like my biggest worry, and I think probably yours too, was just like the animals and making sure they were going to be good through all of it. Yeah, absolutely. That was, a, uh, that was a huge part of it. The other there were multiple stresses, but that was a big one. Yes. Other big stresses is when is winter going to hit? We don't have an established road. The road that we had cut in with the skid steer was literally just pushing over some brush and moving some brush. But that was, if we had gotten a snowfall, you know, before we got the actual road put in, it would have been all mud. We would not have been able to get up to our property. It would have only been about a 200 yard hike mm-hmm. but still that would have been difficult with mud especially when we got to carry in that case we'd have to carry five gallon buckets up or bottle you know one gallon jugs of water up and that would be a, a on almost every other day we had to carry gas we would have had to carry gas up so getting the road in was very stressful like i was stressing about we need to get a road in we need to get a road in and we need to get it in quick because winter could be here tomorrow and then we'd be in a in a really bad spot. Yeah. And it turned out that we ended up in a couple of those bad spots with winter anyways, and had to walk two miles to get gas here, (laughs) but But we made it, we made it. And (laughs) like I said, we wake up the next morning, our bodies are aching and hurting, but, but our minds and hearts are happy. Definitely. And I think that's the most important part. And we'll, uh, in future episodes, we're going to talk about just some of the things that we had to get set up right away. So, like how we're handling logistics for water, for solar, um, what it took to get that road in that Mike mentioned, um, even things like propane and just kind of just some of the logistics of being off grid. So I've had a lot of you guys, you know, comment or message me saying you're really interested in that change. And so our next episode, will kind of focus on that. 
uh, that as well. But anything else you want to add about kind of moving, moving homesteads, cross country moves? No, I think I just would rather say again, building a good community, a good solid community in the area where you currently have your homestead and in an area where you're moving your homestead to is absolutely important. It's important that we build community, even if you're not planning on moving your homestead. There are so many people out there, like all of us, that have homesteads and farms and have really good specific set of skills. And as much as I do know about construction, I don't know everything. I never will know everything. And I can't be good at everything. I can only be really good at a few things. So I really focus on being good at my metalworking and my woodworking stuff, framing and, and carpentry stuff, but I can't be good at fixing tractors. I could probably figure it out. I can figure it out. I can do it. I've got tools and stuff. But if I build a community and I find another farm or homestead where they're good at fixing tractors, I'm good at welding. When they break their tractor and need something welded or fabricated, I can do it for them for less and faster. And when our tractor breaks down and needs uh, the engine fixed or the electrical fixed or the coolant fixed, the hydraulics fixed, they can fix it for cheaper and faster than I can. So build a community, whether you're planning on moving or not. And I'm not as detailed on the spreadsheets and the lists as you are. I do have my like pros and cons lists, but your lists really helped dial it in. And I was really good at providing you with information. You were really, really good. So that's, that's going back to that community thing. You're better at putting the list into order and using technology to help narrow down and put things in chronological or, or in a timeline, I'm really good at knowing exactly what materials we're going to need and what kind of tools we're going to need and how long it's going to take us to do it. So me providing you with that information, you providing the technology part of it really made a huge difference in us being able to pull this off. Yeah, I think that's always been one of our strengths is like we work really well together and we have really good complementary skill sets that mesh really well. And we're both willing to admit the things we don't know and kind of go, okay, you're better at this than I am. So, you know, you'll give me like, like you said, the material list or here's everything we're going to need. Here are the tools we need. And, you know, sometimes I'll sort of roll, roll my eyes at you and be like, why do we need this? And then you'll tell me, I'm like, okay, all right, cool. Like it goes on the list. Like it's definitely something we need. So yeah, I can remember <laughs> in one of our drives, we were driving together. I don't remember. Maybe we were, it was when we drove to Florida to see your brother and your mom. But anyways, the point is, is that we were driving. I'm driving and she's in the passenger seat and she's got her phone out, which has her Google Docs on it. And I'm off the top of my head, I'm saying, okay, we need so many yards of concrete. It's so many square feet. It's so much dollars per yard of concrete. It takes this much to move it. And she's plugging all that stuff into one of her Google spreadsheets and then goes, hey, it's going to be X number of dollars for the total job. And it's going to take us X number of trips to get it here. So working together like that is huge. Yeah. And yeah, yeah so. it's super helpful. So permaculture zone zero our community of two and then uh but yeah your other communities are really important as well like we were really fortunate that 
Mike already, because he had lived in Western Colorado previously, you know, already still has sort of a community here and people he can call on. Um, for myself personally, like, you know, if we had known and had more time between like buying land and actually moving out here, um, the things Mike suggested, like getting on those local Facebook groups for the area you're moving to, like, that's definitely stuff I would have put more time into doing if we'd had had more free time available and had like a longer runway between actually buying the land and moving out here. Um, I think that would have been really helpful. So definitely if that's something in your future plans, I, I think that's definitely a great idea to do. But, and like Mike said, even if you're not moving, start building community where you are. It's so important. It's so helpful. And you might think you've got everything covered right now because you're in your twenties, thirties, forties, what have you. But like, even if you're staying where you are forever, where's your community when you're 70 and you need someone to help you shovel snow off a road or something. Speaking of which, and I think it's good because you said, mentioned it earlier, so we'll just bring it up. So some of our neighbors that live about halfway up the mountain from us, we have been coming, we came down the mountain one day in our Toyota chained up and they were trying to come up in their full size Dodge and they were buried and we carry an extra set of chains in the toolbox of the Toyota. So I pulled over and I jumped out and I took them chains and helped them get, you know, took some shit. We hit keep shovels in the, in the Toyota and went down there and, and dug them out and helped them get chains on their truck. And they're older than us. They're in their late fifties, early sixties, but a couple of things that, that lessons learned for them was that a 10,000 pound Dodge pickup or Ford or whatever it is, there's happened to be a Dodge, doesn't drive on top of snow like a 3,000 pound Toyota Tacoma does. It sinks. So, and they didn't have chains and they were stuck and couldn't turn around. If we hadn't come along, they would have had to walk two miles out to get help. And at their age, it, it could have been that time of year, it could have been really bad. So, we ended up helping them out, and out of that, we developed a really good friendship, and they have helped us out tremendously. They have uh, a little four-wheeler with a snowblower on it that they lent to us. Uh, they said, hey, just park it up at your place, and if you can get to our place, go ahead and move some snow, and if you can't, don't worry about it. In hindsight, it didn't do a whole lot, but the gesture, the fact that they did that was huge. It did move some snow, which was a help. Then we ended up shoveling them out, I think, a total of three times. They got <laughs> stuck three different times. Yep. And so the joke was we actually – we actually. so Sarah likes foraging. I like foraging as well, but I forage for free good stuff. We scored a ton of really good tools the other day, about a dozen shovels and rakes. So today on our way by their place, we stopped off and put a shovel – on their uh, on the the tailgate of one of their trucks at their house as a as a little surprise gift for them because every time they came up they didn't have a shovel in their truck and they would get stuck in the snow. Yep. So again, <laughs> they would call us and I'd bring a shovel down or we would happen to be driving down. Again, that community and what we've built with them, the relationship is so amazing. Yeah, they're not planning on living here for full time for a couple more years, three more years, but. Their house finally is finished being built. They're waiting for the weather to change so they can get their certificate of occupancy and actually live in it. And they've now kind of adopted us and call us the kids <laughs> and have told us that as uh, soon as they get their certificate of occupancy, we're going to be allowed to come down and do laundry at their house. And Sarah can actually use the bathtub. 
oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> and really, it's just because we just did the friendly neighbor thing to do and we helped them out and they helped us out. So yeah, they're great people. And, you know, you probably have a lot of great people living pretty close to you if you just get to know them. Yeah. Build a community. It is. It, it's so great. You got to do it. Yeah, so important. So we're going to wrap this episode up. And like I said, our next episode where Mike comes on, we'll be talking about just the logistics of living off grid. Um, I know a lot of you guys have asked me questions about that. So we'll definitely do a deep dive into all the ins and outs of that. And some of the things that we've learned, Mike has become a quasi expert on solar. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) Well, he knows more than I do. So I I'd been doing the day job thing while he was figuring out how to get that up and running. So I am dependent on him to tell me which buttons to push on it. But yeah, so that'll be a future episode coming up soon. In the meantime, you guys can always follow me on social media over at Fox and Elder. And you can check out foxandelder.com for our herb shop. We have some of our spring medicinals back in stock. We've gotten some cool stuff made up for you guys. So our Lymph Love Herbal Vinegar, that was a favorite from years past, is finally back in the shop. We also have Violet uh, Violet Leaf Salve, um, two different sizes of that that you can try, as well as our normal Calendula Salve. So feel free to check those out. We always appreciate your orders a ton. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with a friend. All right. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.